Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ahí va Condovia. Encima va Benzema. Bueno para Asensio. Asensio para Vinicius. Vinicius la pone atrás. Benzema para gol, 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 gol. Ahí estamos. ¿Veis cómo nos hemos Buenos días, buenas tardes, o indeed, buenas noches. As it is to the league title, welcome to the La Liga Loaded podcast. I'm joined by Sam Leverage, who is fresh from the Santiago Bernabeu, where Real Madrid perhaps sentenced La Liga with a 2-0 victory over Atletico. Has the doom and gloom worn off a little bit, Sam? No, I've kind of been thawing out to warm myself up since I got back home, and I'm still not quite over the doom and gloom yet. It's not, perhaps it's not doom and gloom, perhaps that's a bit harsh on, on Real Madrid, but I mean, it just it feels a bit disappointing to to think that there's such a clear winner of the league when we're not even at Christmas yet. Yes, it is slightly anticlimactic. On the plus side, we should have a good European race, particularly the European spots. There is all sorts of chaos going on in the top half of the table below Real Madrid. We've got David Whitworth coming up to tell us about one of those battles. We've also got Paco Polit to tell us about Valencia's potential European shouts, but also more about kind of the off-field stuff. More on that later, as I'm sure we'll find out. Without sort of delaying too much, because I know this is the headline news that everybody wants to hear about, that everyone wants to hear us break down. So we will jump in to myself, Ruri Barrow, discussing with Sam and Scott Martin about the Derby Madrileño. And here's how it all went down. Felipe, me dio mal Felipe, error tremendo, Vini, chuta, no, prefiero que para Sergio, chuta, Sergio. Oh, yeah. Y gol, 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 de Marco Asensio, error de Felipe. 
I'm joined by Scott Martin, one of the finest followers on Twitter for Real Madrid and author of a couple of books in Soccer Parenting Handbook and also Revitalising Real Madrid. Scott, how are you doing? Doing very well after that game. How are you doing today? <laughs> not too bad, not too bad. It was uh, yeah, a far more comfortable Madrid derby for yourself, I'm sure, than Sam Leverage. Sam, how are you getting on? Yeah, that wasn't wasn't fun at all. <laughs> uh, short but sweet, short but sweet. So yeah, I, I, I'll jump straight into the game. Um, at first, I think I want to sort of just touch on both kind of points of view because obviously you watch the game from a very different point of view if you're sort of more have your mindset on one team than the other. So Scott, first of all, what did you kind of make of it from a Madridista point of view? I do think it was interesting that both goals came in transition. Uh, Atletico stretched far too high up the pitch and Ancelotti, who I think has really dialed it back to uh, his previous spell at Real Madrid, making them a little more dangerous on the counter-attack and a little more reliant on it for their goals. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's put it to good use today with with this 2-0 win against Atletico. So uh, both goals in transition. Uh, the second one very much against the run of play. Uh, that introduction of Joao Felix had given Atletico a little bit of life, but uh, Real Madrid finding a way uh, and credit to uh, not only to the goal scorers and to Vinicius for the two assists, but uh, also just uh, on the second goal in particular, the, the outlet pass from Moldrich to find uh, Vinicius Jr. was just brilliant. So brilliant game from the Croatian Um yeah, a lot of credit to him and and just for the the setup that Ancelotti had, especially I think setting Modric and Cruz deeper in the build out to mm-hmm. ensure that Real Madrid had that press resistance that they were drawing Atletico Madrid higher up the pitch, and that that created that little bit of space that he needed to uh, to give his superstars up top. So really well executed from Real Madrid's side. Definitely, definitely, I think. Even though Real Madrid, as you say, it was kind of against the run of play, that second goal. It was almost as if Atleti, even when they did kind of come forward and they created a little bit, it never truly felt dangerous to me. Sam, what did you make of the game from an Atleti point of view? Well, this is the thing. I mean, kind of standing here, kind of listening to all of Scott's talk about Ancelotti's plan, about how everything kind of was executed perfectly. Real Madrid never got out of first gear and, and Atletico didn't make them. I mean, Atleti just never got going. I think the first half against Porto midweek was was disappointing and this was kind of more a continuation of the same. Angel Correa in, in midfield didn't really convince me in the first half and obviously changed it up at half-time. But, I mean, by 68 minutes, Atletico had already made all five of their substitutes and Real Madrid had only made one. I think that was a kind of good illustration of Diego Simeone kind of running out of ideas. I mean, the team just maybe uninspired is a harsh word, but they just didn't look like they had any ideas. They weren't adapting to the needs of the game. They weren't adapting to to what Real Madrid were, were posing in terms of a threat. And I think really, I mean, that's where, where Real Madrid looked so comfortable. I mean, I don't think they ever got out first gear, but at no point did they ever look like they were likely to concede or likely to lose their lead. And, I mean, I guess that's what a team of champions is. I mean, that's how Atletico played much for the start of last season. And and that's how Real Madrid have been playing in the last few weeks. 
Yeah, and you mentioned Correa's inability to sort of get a grip in the midfield. You briefly mentioned kind of Luka Modric's past, Scott. Luka Modric, I, I saw him described as Godric. I, I heard monster class. There, there was all sorts of superlatives being thrown around. So, Scott, here's your chance. Wax lyrical. You know, at 30, what, 36 years old, drop deeper in the in the formation to help against that Atletico Madrid high press. And the man still somehow finds a way to have a 90% pass completion rating and win four out of five dribbles. So I, I don't know how he does it. Uh, the man really is incredible. But, I mean, he, I think that comfort that Sam alluded to, that was just a sign of the control Luka Modric had over this game. He never looked troubled. Uh, Atletico Madrid could press all they wanted, but they weren't taking the ball off of him. Uh, his decision-making was spectacular. And, you know, he, he provided that, that press resistance that was needed in the build-out to help keep them safe, make sure that they weren't conceding any sloppy opportunities to Atletico Madrid. And, and he just he put a stamp on this game from start to finish. So it's we're running out of superlatives for this guy. Um, you know, I've talked on Twitter in the past about how his deceleration and acceleration is a superpower. I mean, I don't know how this guy moves this well at this age, at this stage in his career, after all the minutes he's logged. So, I mean, he just once again has proven the doubters that he is the fixture in this midfield. Um, you know, you can certainly make a claim for uh, Casemiro Cruz as the most important players, but everything Modric does is just such at such a, a level of class that you, know, you almost wonder what's going to happen at Real Madrid once he's gone. Um, but phenomenal game today, and he he really did control the tempo um, and and just the way Real Madrid carried themselves about in this match. And so credit to him for for securing the victory. And uh, I'd say he was easily the most influential player in this match. Yeah, hard to disagree with you there. And um, from from my point of view, Tony Kroos, Casemiro, great players. But Luka Modric is a player that you can really fall in love with when you're watching him. Sam, I don't know if you have it quite in you to, to wax a little about Luka Modric, but was there anything that either stood out to you about him or, or any of the other players on the pitch today? It's hard to, to speak too many positives of Luka Rodgers right now, but I mean, the, <laughs> the only thing I can say is that the Atleti fans were up in the away end at the Bernabeu and uh, there were quite a few things shouted at Real Madrid players. Um, but I think the only positive one, if you can say positive, was uh, there were one or two guys who just shouted at Modric, Modric, come on, when are you going to retire? Come on, it's not fair. <laughs> I think that is kind of the ultimate mark of respect and admiration that you can get from, from rival fans. Definitely. And cutting to sort of the big question after this match, Atleti now 13 points behind. There's an eight-point gap to Sevilla from Real Madrid. I Liga, Scott, is, there, is this Real Madrid's league to throw away? Is there any way that Real Madrid don't win this league now? Well, immediately after the match, I saw a tweet from Andy West showing that Real Madrid has beaten the teams rated second all the way through eighth so far this season. So the seven teams in contention uh, for those top spots, they've already beaten. 
So this is very much Real Madrid's league to lose. Uh, you know, Sevilla still does have a game in hand, so you know, they, they can close that gap back to five. But this is Real Madrid's league, and I, yeah, I think this this next month and a half uh, with the, the chaotic league and cup schedule that they're going to have, that should go a long way towards uh, to showing how much of a stranglehold they have on the league. But when you look at the, the teams they would expect to, to have to fend off, uh, you know, traditionally Barcelona and Atletico Madrid, they're so far off the pace. You, you can't really make the case that uh, Real Madrid has to look over their shoulders for those two clubs at the moment. And the two nearest are Sevilla and Real Betis, which, you know, again, these are point or clubs that are going to drop key points against the top half of the table. So, you know, I never want to say the race is over midway through the season. Mm-hmm. But this is very much Real Madrid's league to lose. It's a it's a comfortable lead, certainly. Sam, is there any hope for Atleti? And if not, where does Atleti's season go from here? What are the aims? What are the targets? No, I think the league is over. I think it's Real Madrid. Uh, I don't think anybody else has it in them to, to compete. Atletico... Very disappointing to be where they are in the position they're in after after how they did last season. But of course, I guess that's part of the challenge of, of defending a title and Atletico have never been great at that. So, I mean, it is a hard one to see where Atletico go from here. I'd say maybe top four the best they can in terms of challenging Real Madrid, but it's always going to be a challenge. Definitely. Grim times for Cholo Simeone, just kind of six months after, after winning the league. Anyway, I shall draw our analysis of the Atleti-Real Madrid match to a close. And thank you very much for your time, Scott. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. My thanks to Sam, of course, and Scott Martin. Do yourselves a favour. Go on Twitter and follow him at Coach Scott Coffey, Scott with two T's on Twitter. Now we will move sort of across Spain to the east, to Valencia, And a big day in Valencia, not necessarily just for football reasons, as we heard from Paco Polit. Well, I guess you only have to listen to the roaring of the fans and all of the chanting that we have over here in the background to try and get out Peter Lim out of Valencia. Over 15,000 fans were in attendance, according to estimations made by the police, which is more than double than what we saw back in May when around six or 7,000 marched on a parade asking Peter Lim to go home, to sell the club and leave the city. Um, this march was organized by a large number of platforms spearheaded by Libertad Valencia Club de Football, which is the association built from the ground up in August 2020 by Um, street-level fans who wanted to fight back after a wide range of examples of disrespect both from Peter Lim and from his board of executives towards the fans, which caused the plummeting of the club from a mighty Champions League side back in 2019 to fighting to avoid relegation for two consecutive seasons. Um, Libertad Valencia Club de Football have also been fighting to collect 5% of the total number of Valencia shares in order to file suits and complaints towards Peter Lim for the mismanagement of the club and actually they are on their way to reach the halfway mark 
of that uh, quantity. Um, talking about the march, it began around noon last Saturday and saw how thousands of fans chanted against the management, against Peter Lim and also against Valencia's current president, Anil Murti, who back in the day, and you might remember this, uh, he told the Mestalla fans to shut up you know, with his finger during a game in their home ground when they were booing the people in the executive lounge. After around an hour and a half of marching, everyone gathered in front of the stadium and read a manifest in up to six languages where they rejected how things are being handled and demanded that Peter Lim sells the club as soon as possible and leaves. And uh, you can definitely say that the fans have finally awakened from the slumber and after seven years of Meriton driving the club to the ground, they won't stand it any longer. I actually believe that there are going to be many, many more demonstrations like this one in further months. And also, we have to say that the team was able to pull off a late win later in the evening against Elche with that mighty Pizzini strike, making it two wins in a row and getting Valencia closer to the fight for Europe. So I believe overall, Saturday, December 11th was pure happiness for Valencianistas, a date that few fans will ever forget. My thanks to Paco Polit there. Always interesting on Valencia, whether that be on the pitch or off it. He did mention there a potential European challenge from Valencia and moving closer to the European spots. Two of the teams that are heavily involved in that European battle are Real Sociedad and Real Betis. They met at the Benito Villamarín on Sunday night and David Whitworth was there to see it so we were joined by him as he gave us his view on an emphatic victory for Los Peticos. I'm joined by David Whitworth, who was at the Benito Villamarín, to see the 4-0 drubbing of Real Sociedad by Real Betis. This was billed as a partidazo between two teams fighting for, for Europe. They were higher up in the table in the Champions League spots. And although they did have a helping hand from Alex Ramiro, who committed a, a terrible error early on to give Real Betis the lead, 4-0 is a pretty emphatic victory. Just how good were Betis? Well, well, Betis were absolutely sublime against Real Sociedad with the 4-0 win. It was a tremendous performance against a very, very good team. Let's not be kidded by the scoreline. Real Sociedad are a very, very good team who will be fighting for a Champions League spot come the end of the season. So to produce a performance like Betis have is a lot of credit to the manager, to the players, to the staff, and to the supporters. The supporters really fed the team tonight. Certainly in the second half, you could see that the, the team were feeding off the energy, the positivity of the crowd. And it was an incredible atmosphere to be part of, which I was. And over 52,000 were there, the majority celebrating a, a very special night for, for Betis. First half, though, Real Sociedad played very well. We got a lucky break with the, the goal, a big mistake by Alex Ramiro. 
in the, in the first goal, uh, which really uh, gave us a boost. But as the, from the 20th minute onwards, Real certainly took control of the game. Didn't have really any clear-cut chances, but dominated possession. And Betis really needed half-time to just compose themselves and, and go again. Um, but credit to the team, because a year ago, the team might have gone under in that, sec in that first half, but they didn't, and they've improved immensely uh, from a year ago. And that's, again, much credit to the defence. For instance, Mark Barter's improved no end and he's got he's the back to the player that uh, we signed originally and um certainly once we got in at half time and certainly again the second goal came at a timely uh uh chance because uh, we we were again on the back foot but um certainly when that second goal in um it was a a bit bitter blow for Real Sociedad because they were knocking on the door and that was the start of the absolute Betis uh, destruction. And absolutely, every time the team came forward, they looked like they were going to score and they played some marvellous football in the end. There were plenty of good performances for Betis tonight, but one of the revelations during this La Liga season has to be Juanmi. Tangles in the league now, perhaps the surprise of the season. Only Benzema has more goals than him. Did anyone in Seville see this coming? And can you, I think more importantly, can you see this hot streak continuing? Can this be a consistent thing for one way throughout the season? There were some big performances on the night. Alex Moreno, especially for me, was the best player on the pitch. He's improved no end with Manuel Pellegrini. He was always a very good attacking defender, but now he's got an all-round game and he's got an end product as he's shown tonight with two well-taken goals. Even the first goal was... Even though it was an own goal, it was a very well-calculated pass into the goal. And then the second goal was a really, really confident finish from a confident player. And two assists, two goals. Great performance from uh, from him tonight. Fakir was outstanding. One again, Once again, the beacon of, uh, of, of light for this Betty team. But there is one person recently that's taken all the plaudits. He's even got his own... Christmas uh, themed jingle bells, uh, Juanmi song, and uh, Juanmi is certainly giving Betis uh, supporters all the best presents possible with uh, some sublime performances this season. Hattrick uh, recently, um, a game winning goal at the Camp Now, another goal against Real Sociedad. He's uh, performing the best he's ever played in his life. He's always been a, a very good player from the time with Malaga, funny enough, again with Manuel Pellegrini. Then he had a wretched spell of, uh, a wretched spell of injuries, uh, knocked his confidence, and um, yeah, we can now see the player that we signed uh, a few years back. And 10 goals for the season already. He's fast approaching with 13, the best ever or in it for a season, and we're only halfway through the season pretty much, so He's definitely, he's definitely in that purple patch, or the green and white patch, um, and he's very much in the groove. The, the, the fans are uh, absolutely delirious with the new hero at the moment. Um, who knows if he can continue until the end of the season uh, in such a rich vein of form. Uh, I guess not, 
but we've just got to enjoy it while uh, while it lasts. But certainly, he's proved that he was the the player that we all knew was a great player when we signed him, and uh, he's a likable guy, very modest, down to earth, works very very hard to the team. Let's not forget just his goals. He's he's all around work play, uh, knitting the play together. His sis, his silky skills on the ball. He's a very handy player to have, not just on the field, but off the field as well. I guess the main question that's kind of on my mind now is that that win has Betis third. They're just a point behind City rivals Sevilla in second. They also qualified from the Europa League group and recently went away to Camp Nou and won. We've spoken about their squad depth earlier in the season, but are they good enough to, to go on and to make top four this season? That's a very good question with Betis and possibilities to be in the Champions League. It's been an incredible calendar year, probably the best in history. Very consistent, something, again, a buzzword that Betis have never had during the history. Uh, full of downs, unfortunately, uh, less ups, but uh, consistency has been the, uh, the buzzword this season. And um, up until recently, Betis were the best team in Europe in all the top five leagues in terms of wins and most points acclaimed. And if you'd have asked me maybe just uh, two or three matches ago, I would have said to be in the Champions League positions at the end of the season was a tough ask. Right now, yes, but second half of the season, coming into the Europa League as well, um, teams around us, I would have said probably Europa League places, fifth and sixth would have been magnificent because you have to earn the right to be in Europe every single season and for a team that's not used to that it's very difficult to maintain that Thursday Sunday uh, scenario so it's credit to the team uh, that we've built an, a team and not just a team but a full staff as well that you can see week in week out we're making eight or nine changes and it's the same Betis team in name that you're seeing the same philosophy identity characteristics and that's being shown by the the consistency of the results as well which in turn has given us this platform to build a winning machine and a winning mentality which all stems from Manuel Pellegrini the best signing of all that Betis have made in, in recent times and after that Barcelona result I saw the press conference afterwards with Andres Guardado and he said this team has been very consistent the only thing that's been lacking is a big time result and we got it tonight that team you can see now fully believe in themselves that they can go to any t place if they're on the game and win and it shows because tonight once the team got to that two goal cushion they never looked back and they played some brilliant brilliant football and from an, if you look at it as a neutral point of view they've got all the hallmarks of a team that are a team they're a unit they're well organized uh, lucky with uh, no big injuries full depth of squads uh, we've got the Europa League coming up in February but that's parked now so the team can fully fully focused on on the league and we've got every chance now if you ask me we've got every chance to be in those Champions League positions we have to keep up this consistency but to see the team already on 33 points is an astounding achievement from the turnaround of a year ago we've proved now that we do mean business. We're not reliant on one player. Everybody's playing their part. The standout performances in each game, but the whole team are performing to their optimum level. And again, that comes back to the to the manager, 
the assistant, the coaching staff, to get the very best out of this well-talented team indeed. My thanks to David Whitworth for his insight from the Benito Biamarin and a fiesta of a football match in Seville. We're going to take a quick break now, but don't go anywhere because we still have plenty more to come on Momentathos, our MVP candidates, and most importantly, the best of the rest from match day 17. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. are back and as promised we will break down all the rest of the results from this La Liga weekend. We started on Friday night with a very windy 0-0 draw on the island as Mallorca drew with Celta Vigo. It was firecrackers after that as Espanyol beat Levante 4-3 at home in the sort of lunchtime kickoff on Saturday. It's a record 25 games unbeaten for Levante, a very unwanted one. Espanyol, on the other hand, ninth, one point behind Barcelona. They'll be happy with that. Alaves drew one all with Hatafe, a late Hosselu goal. Stops Hatafe getting the win, but it is five unbeaten for Kike Sanchez Flores' side. Following that, there was a win for Valencia at home to Elche. There's controversy in that, and it's not just the the Paco Polit manifestation or demonstration, that was a very Spanglish term, <laughs> that uh, was, was part of that controversy. Following that, on Saturday night, Athletic went 1-0 down to Sevilla, went down 1-0 to Sevilla. It's eight without a win for Marcelino now, and they're finding new ways to avoid scoring. Villarreal beat Rayo Vallecano, very importantly, in the lunchtime kickoff on Sunday. It's the first clean sheet since the 7th of November in La Liga for El Submarino Amarillo. Osasuna drew 2-2 with Barcelona. 
two, two and two for Xavi in his Barcelona spell. Osasuna on the other hand, avoid defeat, but again, it's another game without a win at home. Then Real Betis, as we heard, beat Osasuna 4-0. Real Madrid 2-0, winners over Atleti, of course, and Cadiz face Granada in the Monday night game. Sam, I'll, I'll leave the floor to you. Where do you want to go first? Although I've got a, a particular game in mind that I imagine you're going to touch on. I think it has to be Espanyol Levante, right? Definitely, definitely. What a game. What a game. Yeah, there what, was... what a game. And I think I think when in your intro you said that Levante had gone 25 games unbeaten, I think that's the parallel universe that Levante fans are dreaming of because they've been woeful. I mean, this time I think you could tell that there had been changes. I mean, obviously the the new coach has, has started to make an impact. I think that they played pretty well. I mean, pretty well in the context of how they've been playing of late. I mean, defensively they were still all over the shop, but they did begin at long last to look like they were a bit more cohesive, a bit more of a unit. They kind of all knew what they were doing and Nelisio Liski has kind of very much been on that wavelength. I mean, we've heard from Paco before that he's kind of come in, said to the players, look, I'm here to to try and get this team play. I'm going to do the best I can and kind of very down to earth. And I think that was kind of reflected in that performance. And if it wasn't for their defensive woes, then maybe they could be talking about a win. I mean, looking at the XG stats, I think it was Espanyol had 2.16 and Levante had 3.42. So for the result to be 4-3 is is kind of typical <laughs> Levante luck this season. But at the same time, all credit to, to Espanyol. I mean, prolific. I mean, we've spoken before with, with Jeff Gillingham about the, the talent that they have in attack. And and it was really kind of on show. I mean, not just Raul de Tomas, but they've got so much more. I mean, kind of Sergi Darde getting on the score sheet. Angel Herrera getting an assist. I mean, it's a very strong squad that Espanyol have and when things do kind of come together like they did on Saturday lunchtime they look like maybe they could even kind of be pushing up towards those European places Definitely and I think Levante yeah there were bits to like from Alessio Lisi's side and they looked good going forward one manager who has already made his impact, Kike Sanchez Flores go away to Alaves and although Alaves had a lot of the Ball, and they got that kind of late Hosselu equaliser. Hitafe again, they looked solid. Enesunal scored another goal, which was un- unthinkable just a few months ago. Your views on kind of that and the Kike Sanchez revolution? Yeah, I think Kike Sanchez Flores is doing a fantastic job at, at Hitafe. I think at the moment he's still kind of conditioned by the squad and the players he has available. There's quite a few injuries as well within that team and and they're kind of rushing players back. I know that Kike Sanchez-Flores spoke in midweek about how Jakob Yankto, who was one of the best players in the first few weeks, is back training now, but he's playing through the pain barrier, having injections, that kind of thing, and that's kind of the situation that they're in. I think that's almost reflected as well because of the number of games where we're seeing them concede late goals. I mean, Sevilla and Atletico were two games early on in the season where they were ahead and then got pegged back and, and ended up being beaten. And then again, Joselu's goal came in the 86th minute. And I mean, Hetafe do show that they are good enough to to stay up and, and not even be in a relegation fight. But they just struggle to maintain that over 90 minutes. And Kike Sanchez-Flores is getting there, but I think he still needs a bit more work. And I'm not sure 
where it will really come down to it is whether he can do that without bringing in fresh faces to the team. Yes, and uh, I think I think goal scoring is is particularly it was very well illustrated by the fact that Javi Jaime Mata even I've called him Javi a couple times this season now Jaime Mata missed a golden chance for Hitafi to kind of seal this game and then at the end of the game Hosolu scores I think that's eight goals out of thirteen he scored for Alaves for me nobody more important than him to their team another team that really really struggles with kind of scoring goals is Athletic and we'll come back to the Valencia game in just a second but Athletic 8 without a win Sevilla weren't good in this first half but they still won yeah and Athletic are now up to 56 shots without a goal I think the last 100 shots have had two goals and one of them of course was the Basque derby where Alex Romero kind of put it on a plate and and there wasn't much to be done about that but it must be incredibly infuriating if you're an athletic fan I mean 2.12 xg I mean and they didn't score I mean Iker Maynayin's chance just straight after the Sevilla goal was almost comical it was almost more difficult to work out how it didn't end up in the back of the net so I mean as an athletic fan I think you're going to be very frustrated and I mean this was Marcelino's 38th game in charge so I mean that would be a full La Liga season I think looking back now he'd probably be a little bit disappointed given how he started and the the strong start I think it's actually very similar to the guys get Galitano's last 38 games in charge but he's kind of operating with one hand tied behind his back and I think that was evident against Sevilla I mean everything was perfect they just were missing that finisher to get on the end of the chance and, and put it in the back of the net and Sevilla, a very severe performance. They weren't great at all. I mean, they were a bit sloppy in possession. But they just had that one moment and then they set out to, to defend that. And Thomas Delaney's goal was a fantastic goal as well. A brilliant effort and his first goal in five years, I think it was. So worth waiting for. Yeah, it was almost tragically good that defensive Sevilla midfielder Thomas Delaney thumps one into the top corner well. Athletic do all they can to hit the posts. Yeah, um, Raúl García and then Williams brothers, Iker Manain. I mean, all in theory very prolific attacking players, but just not clinical enough. Absolutely brutal. Do you think there's a solution to this? Are they going to kind of regress to the mean a bit, or I mean, they've only scored thirteen goals. It's only Hitafe who've scored less than them. Is is there anything going to change? I think things will improve. I mean, you look at kind of... I think the standout one for me is Alex Berenguer, who was their top goal scorer last season. Mm -hmm. And he overperformed his XG by two or three, I think, across the course of the season. And this year, he's underperforming by three or four. And I mean, that's the kind of switch that that isn't going to kind of stand through a whole season. You would expect that to kind of return to to the mean. But then I'm not sure it's going to be enough to, to make a real difference for Athletic, I think. They are missing a striker. I think Raul Garcia is only getting older. Neither of the Williams brothers is really a finisher. Iker Maynayin isn't a finisher. Asiavia Libre isn't a prolific goal scorer. Neither is is Sanset. So, I mean, they just don't have that player in their squad. But again, with their Basque-only transfer policy, they have a very limited pool to choose from. And I'm not sure there are any candidates that they could go for. So, it's a very difficult one to, to see how Athletic come out of this situation and and start finding goals again. 
Very difficult indeed. There was a first goal in three years for Christian Piccini. Emphatic finish, but it was the goal that never was for Elche that caused all the problems. Sam, explain. Yeah, well, I mean, anybody who's been looking at the La Liga lowdown Twitter over the weekend or even Matt Clark's Twitter, he's been showing every <laughs> single angle of, of it. The ball... Guido Carillo knocks it down and, and Jasper Sillison gets there to clear the ball, but there's some debate about whether the ball was over the line, on the line. Of course, no goal line technology in Spain. They rely on, on VAR for that. And this was one of those very, very, very rare cases where the VAR isn't definitive. The angle isn't quite in line with the goal, which is not the best idea, I suppose, if you're going to use it in that way. And different angles kind of show different things. From some angles, it looks like the ball is almost but not quite over the line. Another angle that Elche shared on their own social media after the game does make it look like it's over the line. And you can certainly see why Elche fans would be feeling aggrieved. I mean, this was just after Pacini's goal, so it would have been a two-all equaliser. And for a team like Elche, who are down there right at the bottom, I mean, one point is, is a big deal. I mean, at the moment, they're... They're three points clear of the relegation zone, but who knows what might be the case come come May. And we could be talking about these fine margins again and and the technology, which which we know it exists, it's in operation in the Premier League and, and is used so effectively there. And, and in Spain, I mean, I guess you have to be fair to La Liga and say this is the first time that any case like this has come up ever since VAR started to be used. But for Elche, it was... It's going to be a, a point of contention all season long, I think. Somewhat bizarre that we, we spend so long looking at VAR, but we don't have goal line technology. As you say, it's kind of the first case of this, but certainly Elche will be making a case for, for the introduction of it after that. Moving on to Sunday's games, Villarreal 2, Rayo 0, Osasuna 2, Barcelona 2. Sam, is there anything that you particularly want to comment on from these stumbling European contenders, but wins for a win for Villarreal. Yeah, Villarreal I thought looks so much better with Gerard Moreno back in the team, I think. He just kind of connects everything in attack, and I think that's what they've really been missing. They've had some good attacking players, and Dan Juma and, and players like that, that, that are very good on their own, but I think Gerard Moreno is kind of the linking point in attack. And it was kind of a very... Villarreal of last season performance, if you like. It was kind of very dominant, very controlled, very comfortable. I think Rayo looked very much like Rayo have on the road this season, which hasn't been great. And obviously with no Falcao, not even on the bench this weekend. So I think they weren't quite as confident as, as they have been in other games. So it won't have been the toughest test that the Villarreal will have all season. But they did kind of make light work of it. I mean, Rayo had their chances as well. I mean, they could have got one or two goals, but, but I think Villarreal were, were quite assured in how they played. And moving on to the game at El Sadar, anything stand out to you there? I mean, another collapse from Barcelona. Chimi Avila, Avila getting on the score sheet. Yeah, I mean, what do you have to say about that, Rory? I mean, as the Barca fan, it must be a difficult one to watch. <sighs> Yes and no. I mean, it was very much the same. Uh, it, there wasn't anything particularly new about this match to me. I think the the great addition was Ez Abde, who, who looked very, very good and sort of really put 
pushed the team forward along with Gabi and Nico who linked up, linked up for the first Barcelona goal. And Xavi said it. It's difficult to digest, in his words, that the youngsters are the one pulling this team forward and pushing them through these kind of difficult situations. And why why isn't it those senior players? Samuel Umtiti was in the side. He started for the first time since that infamous Granada game where Barcelona kind of ended their title hopes in the Camp Nou. He looked as flustered and, to be frank, useless as he has in the last couple of years. And yeah, it, it is depressing. But again, another situation where you kind of look at the team that Barcelona have. Luke de Jong was up front and you just you think that this team is toothless. There aren't too many options to bring off the bench. Ferran Jutla made his, his debut. Again, again, another sort of youngster coming through who's, who's not even sort of a heralded, heralded youngster at this point. It's not someone that Barcelona have been thinking that he will come through and, and be a sort of star for them. It's just someone they signed for their B team almost. So yeah, if you kind of look at it in the context of those issues, then, then yeah, this was just the same credit to Osasuna who pressured very well. I thought that they did very well to keep Barcelona kind of in their own half and penned in towards the end of the game but once again as Xavi pointed out Barcelona they need to defend with the ball and they need to be able to hold on to the ball in situations of pressure they need to be brave having said that I probably wouldn't put Oscar Mingueta in midfield in order to do that which was a, a strange decision to say the least we've already yeah. kind of Sorry, on you go. No, I was just going to say, I think Osasuna are actually very impressive. I mean, this was their eighth game without a win, but they certainly didn't look like a team that were coming off the back of, of seven La Liga matches without a win. I thought they looked very kind of comfortable on the ball and, and confident. I mean, they weren't afraid to kind of press back against Barcelona. I think they were the better team for much of the game as well. I mean, I think they just looked was quite assured. And obviously, as I said, that is a is a big boost to kind of give them that belief but I think they, they really kind of showed their belief which we have seen at times this season I mean they've gone to Atletico and made it difficult for them they've gone to the Bernabeu and made it difficult for Real Madrid and, and this was kind of a similar kind of performance Yeah and just on a more general note this was an absolutely fantastic game really really entertaining there was lots of drama well worth a watch and go check out the highlights if you didn't or haven't already seen them. We've already touched on Betis win, we've already touched on Real Madrid's victory over Atleti. So we can go straight into kind of the MVPs. I, I don't mind starting with that. I will sort of put out Luka Modric there. I mean, we, we talked to Scott about him earlier in the podcast. He's just majestic. Um, there's sort of, he's getting, getting to that point where there's not too much more to say about him because we've seen it all before other than the fact that he's 36 and he's still doing this. And it's 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 incredible to see. And the Bernabeu, I think, was almost giving him a standing ovation a couple times in this match, which was, yeah, testament to his good performance. Who's your first pick, Sam? I'm going with Alex Moreno. I think Real Betis were the best team performance of the weekend. And the best individual performance of that team was, was Alex Moreno. I mean, two goals and an assist from, from left-back. I mean, that's the kind of thing we haven't seen much of in La Liga basically since Dani Alves was at his peak. <laughs> and Alex Moreno is a player who's coming for criticism. I mean, he's not the most consistent. He's not the most 
defensively reliable at times, but when he gets going, he's unstoppable. And I think Real Sociedad, who are a very defensively solid team, I mean, they don't concede that many goals that often. So for them to, to be taken apart by a, a left-back playing like that, I mean, Alex Moreno is just so quick, so kind of brave in possession. I mean, he's not afraid to take a shot. He's not afraid to to gamble on a cross or a, a pass in the final third. And he just kind of has that, that know-how and that courage in the final third, which, which really does help to set him apart. Definitely. And for me... People will maybe perhaps accuse me of being a bit of a homer here. But it is a game I, I, I watched and I one player kind of stood out to me and that was Ed Abde, who I kind of mentioned earlier. And I sort of remarked on Chavi's comments about how the youngsters are the ones pulling this team through. And Ed Abde, Dembele has been marketed as kind of the saviour of this Barcelona team in the sense that he's a player of sort of supernatural talent that can come in and fix so many of Barcelona's attacking issues but Abde was by far and away Barcelona's most dangerous player for me in my view at least he was sort of standing up the Osasuna players he got two of them booked he obviously scored the goal which admittedly did come from a Dembele cross but he was an absolute nightmare for Osasuna all game and I think for, for someone who's only played a couple of games, to take on that responsibility to push this team forward and to to really drag them through this, I, I thought it was pretty incredible performance from him. And from a player that, again, we, we've not necessarily seen that this is his... Um, we've seen sort of his raw talent, but we've not kind of seen a performance this good from him. So to do it against Osuna at El Sarar, in a game where the team really needed him. Fair play to him. Yeah, it was going to take some convincing to convince me that Barcelona needed a player in this week, Rory, but I think <laughs> you've, you've done it with that sales pitch. <laughs> Who's your fourth and final candidate for the MVP? I'm going to go with a player who I I love. I loved watching him last season in particular, and that's Javi Puel. I think he got his first two goals of the season this weekend, and and was crucial for for Espanyol. I mean, to to see off Levante. I mean, his two goals were the the two latest goals and the the eventual winner. And he's been so promising. I mean, we've seen flashes of it this season, and he's kind of been. You can see him kind of adapting to Primera. I mean, he was very good in Segunda last season. I think he's been getting better and better this season in in Primera. With each game, he looks a little bit more comfortable, a little bit more confident. And I think this was kind of the game where he really came out of his shell and hopefully now we'll see him kick on even further. But he just looks so kind of like a striker who knows where the back of the net is, I guess. And, and to kind of be that player who comes from the wide positions and, and can chip in with goals when Espanyol also have Raul de Tomas in there, I think that's such an important role for, for Vicente Moreno's team. And if he can get firing and get more goals get more assists get more involved in in attack then it's only a matter of time before we're talking about him and the Spain team and and his future because he's a huge talent a lot of potential there and and it's really going to be interesting to see if he can build on his performance this weekend which was excellent and keep playing like that you could definitely kind of see why Vicente Moreno was still playing him even though he perhaps wasn't getting the goals that he he did this weekend. Moving on to, to moments of the week. 
I, I mean, I'll, I'll go first. I'm happy to do that. And it's one that comes with a little bit of melancholy for me. Karim Benzema's volley, you have to take your hats off to him. Vinicius again across, and it's that duo that are making the complete difference in this league. Benzema makes it look easy, pulls off from the defenders, volleys home, and that may well be that. La Liga is on life support. And for Real Madrid fans, perhaps not so much for, for the two of us, but that's going to be an iconic moment, I think, in this La Liga season. And yeah, Benzema, Vinicius, you've just got to, as I say, take your hat off to them. But on to your moment of the week, Sam, which perhaps for us will be a little bit more cheery. What have you gone for? I'm afraid it's not too cheery for you, Rory. <laughs> I'm going to go with Chimi Avila and his last gasp equaliser for us as soon I mean, it was just a brilliant finish and so deserved for Osasuna, but also just because it was El Sadar. I mean, late equalisers or winners at El Sadar, we've seen a couple of them this season, but they're just magic. I mean, the atmosphere is fantastic. Jimmy Avila, of all people, I mean, we all know what a cult figure Jimmy Avila is. So for him to come off the bench, to create a finish like that, to get a result like that, that was a huge moment for me. I mean, maybe at the end of the season we'll look back on Karim Benzema's volley as, as the big moment, the <laughs> iconic moment. But this weekend, the moment that I'm going to gonna stick with is, is Jimmy Avila's equaliser. And with that, we, we draw to a close this Match Day 17 podcast. Thank you very much for your time, Sam, and for your analysis, particularly after racing home from the Bernabeu to, um, to attend. Cheers, Ryan. And... Yes, okay, Benzema's strike was probably the more iconic moment, I think, in the season, but it was absolute scenes at El Sarar. Not even a Barcelona can, fan can deny that. So we will play out on the sound of Jimmy Avila's goal. Thank you to you, listener, for, for coming with us on, on this journey again through La Liga and Match Day 17. Follow us on at La Liga Lowdown on Twitter for more content, to vote on our MVP. And also you'll, you'll see some sort of clips and, and videos from our contributors. But I will leave the stage to Jimmy Avila to put Barcelona to the sword and send El Sadar wild. Empuja el Sadar, viene el córner, viene Sasuna, viene Roberto Torres, es diestro, va desde la izquierda, la pone Torres, segundo palo, arriba la tiene Sasuna, Moncayo la chuta, rechace, gol del Chimi, gol, 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 en una jugada, al rechazo, en una segunda jugada tras un balón parado, en gatilla desde la frontal del área, el Chimi Ávila, fusila la portería de Ter Stegen, a cuatro para el final, empata Osasuna, no hay nada firmado, no hay nada decidido, van a pasar cositas, Osasuna 2, Barça... Barça. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 